Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Live from our Barangaroo Studios. Great to have your company for the call as we always kick off the afternoon. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all before 1 p.m. It's fast, it's furious, it's a lot of fun and very informative. Panel today is a cracker. Carl Kapalinga from Thick Markets in WA. Carl, welcome. Good afternoon, Koshi. And Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool. Good to see you, sir. Koshi, g'day, g'day, Carl. Very much looking forward to the next hour, mate. It's going to be lots of fun. Yeah, me too. We're going to get straight into it because you two always have a lot to say, and I mean that (laughs) with the greatest sense of respect because it's always interesting. It's always interesting. Welcome to the 90-minute hour, Koshi. All right. Let's uh, let's get into it. First up uh, for stocks, you want us to have a look at SmartPay, uh, Macquarie, uh, Cromwell Property Group. Um, bit of a, a skew on, uh, which is interesting coming from our viewers at the moment towards REITs and property with the big discounts there. Um, is it worth getting into? Uh, Dexas uh, goes into that pot a bit as well. Uh, Suncorp, more in the second hour. Um, but I thought we'd kick off with stock of the day. Webjet posts its full year revenue of over $364 million, up 164%. Yes, we're all travelling. A turnaround from a loss of $15 million. Bookings up significantly uh, and 63% ahead of pre-pandemic levels. Bookings up, as you see there, 115%. Webjet says uh, FY24 off to a strong start. Uh, significant growth opportunities in business segments, particularly the web bed business, um, where momentum is accelerating. We saw Qantas yesterday come out with a cracker, uh, shares down after that result. Anyone who's travelling at the moment knows if there's a huge. Uh, Carl Kapalinga, uh, what did you think of Webjet's result and the stock at the moment? Um, because my co-host on uh, Sunrise is a Perth girl, uh, she uses the Perth uh, flights to see whether they're bargains or not. And Qantas had a Qantas had a sale of six hundred and forty dollars one way to Perth on a sale price a month yeah. ago, and that said pre-pandemic you could do it for two fifty. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 obscene. Like obviously, um, you know, I'm, I'm based here in Perth, and Thick Market's main office is in Melbourne, so I do have to fly east a fair bit. And you know, the prices are horrific. But we, um, uh, we, you're very uh, delicate with your language there about uh, <laughs> uh, about some of the prices. Uh, gouging is a word that I would I would use, but uh, but it's interesting <laughs> to see. I know we're off topic here, but you know, Qantas. 
um, just I, I don't think I was telling my wife yesterday um, uh, we were at dinner time conversation so I don't think I've ever seen in my career a company upgrade its earnings four times within the same financial year yeah. and from I think they started in the what, a few hundred million and we're up to now over two billion it's, it's just extraordinary um, but it does tie in with this conversation about Webjet now Webjet very different uh, kettle of fish they are not providing the travel services themselves they're giving the ability to book those services and obviously as uh, travel has opened up Right. They are starting to do very well. They get a percentage of what they sell. Is a higher the price, the more yeah, they get in for their cut, for their two percent or three percent. That's a good point. So while yeah. prices are high, obviously that helps them. If prices do moderate, then there is somewhat of a headwind there. But I think balancing that out, and probably more than balancing it out, is this idea of. Um, international capacity returning and as hopefully that starts to get cheaper we're going to therefore want to make more bookings and net net that's going to continue uh, to improve for them and I, look i think there's plenty of growth still in the tank here uh, and i think it's going to come from that uh, opening up of capacity market loves growth um, and you know we, we do tend to pay higher multiples for that so um, great result as far as i can see um, i didn't see too many uh, red flags in there is probably the right word to use. Um, in terms of the valuation, I think it's very fairly valued around here. Um, obviously, today's pop-up really does take it into that realms of, you know, sort of bang on our price target here over big markets. Um, you're, you've got about 8% compound annual growth rate over the next three financial years, and you're paying 22 times for it. So the, the market average growth is about 8%. The market average PE is closer to 15. So you can see where I'm going right. with that. However, the chart looks amazing. So I would never tell anybody to sell a chart that looks like that, even if it was fully valued. Because at the end of the day, everything I've just told you is based upon my opinions, my views on the world. And who is to say that my view on the world is going to be is going to turn out to be right? My view doesn't matter, Koshi, because I don't make the market. The, the fund managers who do make the market, they're seeing something in this that is supporting those higher prices. So I'm a happy holder. I've, I've been on many times, I think, over the last few months, telling people to hold on to this one, despite the fact it's gone up. I'm going to reiterate that today. Uh, would I buy it here? I don't. I'm not sure if I'm a buy here, just that valuations hold me back, but maybe I'm contradicting myself. So, yeah, look, I'll, I'll have, I will call it a buy. Okay. Um, Scott, the big question is, is this as good as it gets for the likes of Qantas and Webjet because the Chinese airlines are coming back? Um, so there's a second Vietnamese-based uh, airline, Bamboo Airlines, doing... Like I, I went to the coronation business $18,000 business class return. Holy hell. Uh, thankfully, I didn't yeah. have to pay um, and, and it won't affect Seven West Media share price, hopefully. Um, but, ba but Bamboo via Ho Chi Minh is 7000 So you're going to start getting the, the Asian airlines coming back into the market, bringing competition. It's got to come down, doesn't it? Mate, I, I just want your producers to check the Seven West share price after that disclosure, Koshi. We might have a trading opportunity right now. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, mate, yeah, look, I, I don't know if it's as good as it gets for Qantas. I think predicting those things just makes people like me look silly. But I, I don't see how it can be materially better for any extended period of time, put it that way. Um, constrained uh, supply and rebounding demand is a – we've seen it across the entire economy, right? That, that's inflation 101. Yeah. Whenever you can get away with it until supply catches up, then yeah, you could absolutely mint money. But if you believe that this imbalance remains the case permanently, that requires a decent amount of optimism and probably the uh, uh, some forecasting precision I don't possess 
Uh, it's it's really hard to believe, that, as you say, mate, that the recovery of other airlines. Here's the thing: it's 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 capitalism 101. I was just talking about inflation 101. Let's stay with the 101s. Uh, when there are excess profits being made in the industry, what happens? Someone comes along and adds capacity and takes away some of that super profit. That seems to me exactly what's happening right now. If Qantas can keep the airfares from Perth at 650 bucks, good luck to them. I flew back from the Gold Coast to Sydney last Friday. Now, I booked the ticket, I think it was Tuesday or Monday last week. I had the choice of after 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I could choose from a $499 economy fare or a $549 business fare, wow. on, I think it was Qantas and Virgin respectively. And that was, not only was that the, the, the cheapest I could find, it was all I could find to get back from the Gold Coast. So limited huh. capacity, super high prices, because I know that someone eventually is going to say, well, gee, I need to get back to Sydney. I guess I'll pay what I have to pay. Now, I flew earlier and cut short my work day to, to save a couple hundred bucks. But that's the sort of situation that, yeah. while ever that persists, we'll be in a good place and Webjet will be in a good place. I like Webjet to business, mate. They are really, really good operators. They've done a remarkable job um, on the operational side of the business. They made some mistakes, by the way. They bought Zuji and then to sell it back. Um, they made some mistakes, but the guys have done a pretty good job there. What I want people to just be mindful of, you put the share price chart up before, be very careful looking at just the price per share. Because during the pandemic, I want to say Webjet mm-hmm. share can increased by about 90%. So effectively what we're saying is even at half of the, roughly half the share price, the market cap is the same. Or put the other way around, get back to pre-pandemic share prices, the market cap has to double. And you've got to ask yourself right now, does Webjet deserve double the market cap that it did when things were great? Now, again, maybe in the short term, yeah. I'm not a fan of Webjet, I have to say, long term. Now, Carl's got a different trading perspective, and that's what makes the market, as, as he rightly says. Uh, over the long term, I don't expect Webjet to beat the market from here, despite a really good set of results today. Excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. Uh, I think it's probably better as a, a sell for me. Okay. All right. Um, let's get into the stocks you want us to take a look at. Uh, and Carl, while we let Scott sneeze uh, diplomatically, <laughs> um, Nick, Nick, what's a view on SmartPay, the uh, the payments provider, electronic funds, EPOS terminals for, for business, mobile EPOS machines? Uh, what do you think of SmartPay? Um, some groups <laughs> in uh, that sector have taken a bit of a tumble recently. I think you're referring to Tyro yes. payments there, yeah. Koshi, aren't you? Which has a re- has had a really unfortunate week and an unfortunate time. Uh, but SmartPay's, uh, you've probably seen the ads. I've seen them on, on TV where they're advertising sort of um, zero-cost FPOS, aren't they, trying, yep. to, trying to grab business that way. And, look, it is a little bit of a gimmick because you are affected. Well, the way to get zero-cost FPOS is to have a turnover of greater than $10,000. So if they waive their monthly fee and they have a a dynamic uh, inbuilt surcharging in the uh, option at least. So effectively, you're just shifting your uh, merchant fee costs to the consumer, okay? Yeah. Um, and some some businesses will, will think that's the, the best thing ever, and some will say, well, in, in practical terms, uh, that's not going to work. But they do have, obviously, a, a pay-as-you-go um, option as well if you didn't want to do that. Um, and, you know, very uh, advanced sort of uh, software and, and, and kit that they offer, they say, better than their competitors and certainly better than the incumbent sort of big four banks that many um, businesses are, are currently using. So I think that's where they're looking to uh, make the most um, inroads and uh, and they're doing very well at it, to be fair. So if we look at uh, their earnings per share last year, FY 2022 was one cent. Okay, so they are, they are profitable. If we come to this year, we're expecting them to earn 2.6 cents 
Doesn't sound like much, an extra 1.6 cents, but it's a 150% increase. Next year, that's going to be 5.2, so nearly 100% increase, and then 7.5, 9.4, moderating somewhat. But you get a compound annual growth rate of about 50% per annum over the next three FYs. Now, ordinarily, you would expect in the market to see a stock with that sort of growth trading, you know, with a PE of 40, 60, 80, whatever it is. Um, it's not. I know this year's 56, but remember that growth is going to double. So if we look into next year, and there's some execution risk there, it's more like a 28 and it's coming down to 15 by FY26. So if we look at sort of the median P of the next three years, it's about 23. So we're getting way, way more than the market's growth, or modestly more than the market's P, but I think justified uh, by the growth that's in there. But hey, there's these uh, two words called execution risk, but there's also expectation risk as well. Execution risk is they need to pull that growth off. Expectation risk is the brokers have already factored in uh, these multiples. So if they miss those, there's potential mm. downside in the share price. Okay. But just simply on the numbers, it looks cheap to me. Okay. I reckon $2 is not an unreasonable valuation for a mm. company with that growth and that P. And I have jacked up. Uh, my risk level in my spreadsheet to compensate for the fact that there are some risks uh, in the business. Now, ordinarily, you would say those numbers sound fantastic and therefore uh, people that would stimulate people to want to demand. It would also stimulate people to want to withhold this supply because if the company's so great, they wouldn't want to sell either. And that is actually what has been happening because when we get to, when we get to the chart, it is bottom left, top right. So again, there shouldn't be any surprises in the market. If you've got a, a good company with great growth growth prospects um, at a reasonable price, it will be bid up by the funds, okay? Uh, probably the small to medium, uh, yep. those looking for small to medium uh, uh, cap opportunities. I'm a happy holder on the chart. I can't see any reason to sell it. I mean, it was uh, 60 cents in October, November last year. It's now $1.50. Okay, many people would probably come on uh, the call and say, look, take your profits. It's had a great run. That's not how I operate. I look at the chart as a reflection of what people are predicting in the future. Okay, why would you own the stock? Why would you bid it up? Why would you hold your supply today? Okay, if you're only yep. looking at the past, it's not the case. So I'm going to go buy on this one. Okay, Scott, are you just as enthusiastic on smart pay? Not quite. I'm not going to sell it because I think Carl highlights what is the probable future for smart pay. As always, the challenge is whether the analysts are getting this right and whether there are bumps on the road. Remembering, of course, Tyro itself was worth a whole lot more not that long ago before it started to disappoint the market as well. And that's always the challenge. We're paying a high multiple, not only of today's earnings, but earnings in two or three years' time. Everything has to effectively go right. I mean, it can always overshoot those, but you know, almost everything has to go right. The risk to me is on the downside. If you're an absolute believer, and frankly, the returns have been pretty good. The results for the business itself, putting the shareholders aside for a second, have actually been have actually been very very positive. The the growth they've been getting in those organisation is good. Uh, revenue has gone from 14 million to 35 million over what three uh, three years, 20 on 23. That includes, by the way. The COVID period where you can reasonably assume uh, the pit less people are in stores and, and cafes and restaurants and sort of stuff, operating profits up, cash flow, operating cash flows are up, um, even uh, gone from loss to profit. So those things are all positive. Momentum is really, really good. I don't have a problem with the business. I do find the price a little bit too much to pay, I have to say. So I wouldn't sell it. If you, if you like it, you probably own it for the right reasons. The business has done nothing to disappoint you in terms of its execution thus far. It's on exactly the right trajectory, uh, but I don't think I could pay even... 23 times a couple of years times multiple needs a whole lot to go right. Uh, if it does, it'd be worth buying now. But it's equally too, you've got to say, well, they're going to beat the market over that time. Not only does it have to grow to justify the current price, it's then got to have the market grow on top of that as well. So you've got to keep up with the market at the same time. Uh, at a meaningfully lower price, I'd probably be, I would be a buyer. Uh, but at the current price, I'm going to say hold. Okay. All right. So, 
Koshi, just on yep. an interesting point Scott makes. So at a lower price, I wouldn't be a buyer. So I'm actually a buyer now, but I'm looking for kind of a binary bet. So it's a, it's a very it's a very much a style issue. So if it closes below, I'd be happy to buy it today. But if it was to close, and it's about you know 150 just shy of that today. But if it closed below, say 137, 135-ish, if it closes down there, I'd be looking to get out. I'd take my loss and I'd go on and I'd go find something else. Right. So again, when you look at, if I say something's a buy in two weeks, three weeks time, based upon the technicals, it may not still be a buy. So it is it is totally a style issue. You have to be able to continue to monitor the technicals and make those very clear cut decisions. They're not opaque. It's basically, yep. if it gets beneath this point, then I wouldn't be in it. So okay. I'm happy to take, if it, if it goes or if it goes right, the upside's to two bucks, that's 50 cents. If it goes wrong, my downside's 15 cents. Okay. That's the way I look at the market. All right. Okay, uh, second stock. Uh, Scott, uh, Robin wants a view on Macquarie Group. Now, Robin says, Macquarie is my second largest holding, but I'm wondering if I should trim it. Does the panel consider it could go the way of the MFG in terms of key man risk? Uh, could it? Good yes, question. always, Koshi. Is it likely to? No, it's not likely to. And I think if you really break that up, uh, the great thing about Macquarie is the corporate culture. Uh, it is not called the millionaires. It's not the millionaire factory. It's the millionaires factory. Right. Uh, and that's really deliberate. Look, obviously, the people at the top of the pile are the ones who make the final decision, get the absolute big bucks. But it's also an organization where they are rewarding people for effort most of the way down the chain. And when you incentivize people and when you can really align your incentives, this is for me, look, I, I didn't recommend Macquarie for a long time, mate. And my argument was generally I wouldn't bet against it. But who knows what the business is going to be like in five and 10 years' time? They, they will probably change models. You know, the famous Macquarie yeah. model was almost a, that was a noun for a while, right? And it's gone away again, and there'll be, there's another Macquarie model now. There'll be another one in five years' time. So you can't really, this is what I'm, I'm less comfortable with generally because I like businesses I can look out three, five to 10 years' time and say, here's what I think the business will look like. Here's what I think they'll be doing. Here's, I think, what they think chances of success are. Macquarie can't really do those first two. But if you align your incentives well and you say, the people who's, who come to work every day, walk into the business, whether virtually or, or, or literally, walk into the business at, at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning or 7.30 on a Sunday morning and, and incentivize to make money for themselves while making money for shareholders, that is a remarkably good business. And the, what I love about this, why I don't think it's like a Magellan is, Macquarie's not a one-trick pony. You know, Woolies, if it wants to grow, opens more supermarkets. Uh, Magellan opens, you know, or, or tries to get more funds in the door. Macquarie looks around and says, hey, there's a world of opportunity out there. What should we do with this dollar? to make it worth more than a dollar in a, a day, a week, a month, or a year. And so they'll go anywhere to do it. And they have consistently changed models and changed again and changed again. So I think you've got to look at this on, on two bases. One is, are the right incentives and structures in place? Two, do we have a reasonable price to pay for that business? So they're currently 14-odd times earnings. I think you're paying an okay price for that. It's not super cheap. It's not as cheap as some of the banks, but we shouldn't consider this a retail bank in the same way. The other thing I think you want to have a look at is just, what are you paying for the assets of the business that are trying to be turned into something else. Now, at 2.1 times book value, you are paying a pretty penny. But I think the earnings number from Macquarie in particular, where they're not just making a margin on the assets like a traditional retail bank, you can afford to kind of put that one to the background a little bit. 14 times earnings is pretty good for a business with a very, very good long-term track record. I think on balance, the people that, that work there, well, one or two of them are probably doing the wrong thing right now. Most are out there trying to make money for themselves by making money for shareholders. That's a remarkably compelling story with a great backstory and some really smart people. Uh, I would buy Macquarie. Okay. Um, uh, even if it was your second biggest holding at the moment, you'd be comfortable with that? 
That's a good question. That's portfolio again. It depends how big second biggest is. If it's the if you've got fifty eight companies and your second biggest at three percent is one thing. If it, if it's forty eight percent of your portfolio, it's a very different question. Right. Uh, I yeah. Look, I mean, if I own it, you know, reinvesting dividends, I'd be more than happy reinvesting dividends in there. Look, I'm I'm never one to say if it's your first second biggest holding by anything. Doesn't matter. How, I mean, yeah. maybe it's Berkshire Hathaway might be the only one I'd say. Who cares how much you own? You're always going to be fine. Yeah. Um. I you know. Uh, yeah, yes, always, always be very prudent when it comes to portfolio diversification. Leave something on the table in the name of portfolio yep. diversification. If you miss out on a quote, if it goes high, you say, gee, I wish I had more. If it falls in half, you think, gee, I'm glad I didn't add more. Yep. That's a pretty asymmetric outcome. So, no, I probably wouldn't add more to a, to a second largest okay. holding unless it was you know, still a very, very small holding in absolute terms. Okay. Um, Carl, what do you think of Macquarie? What? I don't... Mine's Macquarie. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm just trying to answer the question, which is, you know, it's second largest holding and then the key man risk element of that. Um, and, yeah, I agree with what Scott says about, well, it depends on how big it is in your portfolio. But I just think for, for a company, just conceptually, if you're a more conservative investor, then it is a company that does well in bull markets. It is a company that does well during periods of volatility. Okay. Um, so understand that. Uh, its performance will, you know, largely uh, look ma- mark the, the business cycle. I don't know. Um, it, there's some volatility. Okay, I think that's where I'm going with this. So if you're very defensive, its its earnings tend to be volatile with the cycle. Okay. The other point about the key person risk, I think Robin is referring to Nick O'Kane, and I'm, this is a big assumption here, who is head of their uh, commodities and markets division. That, of course, is the division that has delivered them just huge, huge gains since effectively yeah. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and we saw commodity prices spike, and then just huge amounts of volatility in those markets uh, where Macquarie have done very well. Okay, he earned $54 million, so he'll get $54 million. Um, as a result of that, it's on top of $37 million the year before, so close to $100 million in the last couple of years. Um, I think, uh, to, to Scott's point there, I think Macquarie is far bigger than, than Nick Kane. Nick O'Kane, I should say. So I don't think that's a risk for you, Robin. Hopefully I've answered the first part yeah. of the question about whether if you're a defence, if you're more aggressive um, investor, then I think it, it deserves a place in your portfolio in the right environment. And that would be if uh, equity markets are generally quite good, there's lots of deal flow, uh, things are turning up, there's you know a bit of uh, activity going on. I'm not sure if we're in that market. So, so to answer the question of whether it's the right stock right now, I'm not sure if we're in that market. I don't I think that the growth is fairly reasonable. It's about market growth. It's about market PE, as Scott said. So I think it's fair value. On the chart, it's literally 50-50, reflecting everything I've just said. Mm. Um, it's not a compelling buy, but I can certainly get to a hold. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go something uh, a bit more um, pedestrian. If you like, Katie wants a view, uh, Carl, on Cromwell Property Group, the real mm. estate investment trust, the REIT, uh, 210 properties, mainly commercial offices, um, across Australia, and um, like most REITs, trading at a, a pretty big discount at the moment. Well, it's, yes. So you mentioned in your intro how there's lots of interest in REITs at the moment, and we've seen that over here at Think Markets as well. And look, we've got people, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, whatever it is, but they go and do their own research, and I think that's wonderful. But they come to me and they say, hey, Carl, the P, the the uh, the PE six and the dividend yield sixteen. Okay, so must be good, and it's trading at a thirty percent discount to the net asset value. And I say, well, okay, well, just hold on for a second because uh, PE, well, that's based upon last year's earnings. Now, did you know that? 
the market is forecasting. Now, anything can happen. The market is forecasting earnings to roughly halve. Um, okay, so the PE is actually not that good. And then the dividend yield is probably going to come down significantly as well. Um, and by the way, they're in the process of selling some businesses, which means they're revaluing their, their book. And that net asset value is probably going to come down as well. And then said person says, oh, no, I actually, actually had no idea. Okay, so yep. you, you, you can't invest solely on what has happened in the past. You kind of need to have a view of what's going on in the future. Um, the other big part of their portfolio, Koshi, which you didn't mention, was um, they've got a huge exposure in Europe. So 13% of the portfolio is in Italy. About 10% is in a combination of Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg. And then we've got 13% in Central Eastern Europe. It's a bit opaque. It's a bit obscure for me. And um, yeah, look, I would say be very, very careful with this one. Um, if you look at the uh, what the brokers are saying for earnings going forward, and as I said, anything can happen, but we're forecasting a compound annual growth uh, contraction in earnings of 6%. Okay, yeah. so earnings are expected to fall by 6% over the next three years. Uh, you're still paying, I think, too much for it on the valuations, about 10 times. Nothing compelling, nothing exciting in the business, nothing compelling, nothing exciting in the valuation, and the chart is the worst of them all. So I'm a straight-up okay. seller. Okay. Um, <laughs> Scott, uh, just to add to Carl's point, people will say, oh, it's an investment in bricks and mortar. It's 30% below the value. So it's got to come back up. I'm buying bricks and mortar at 30% discount. That can't last for long. Uh, but to, to Carl's point, the market is predicting the revaluations will come down, aren't they? That's the reason for the big gap at the moment. Spot on. And we say it can't last for long. You're absolutely right. But it can go both ways. Either, yeah. either the share price comes up or the book value comes down. And you don't want to get caught on the latter if it's not the former. I look. I've I've said before, Koshi. I, I don't love REITs in general. Yeah. Uh, we've only recommended one, I think, in my entire time at Sheravice, which is ten plus years. Um, and my more recent actually was Goodman Group. There's a there's a free one for you. Um, these guys are fifty two thirds office uh, and twenty percent industrial. Um, if if you had if you asked me to rank attractiveness of real estate categories, uh, obviously be the very very bottom. Not because right. I know for sure that work circumstances are going to change. Another headline today about CBA wanting people to come back to work, and maybe they do. And honestly, in a scenario where if the, if the future looks like the past, Cromwell's absolutely cheap. Like, you know, if, if, if offices are full again in 2024, 25, and we look back and say, man, we had the chance to buy this thing at 30, 35, 40% below its real value when everyone just assumed they would drop because they must because they should, because the tendencies were going to be lower then that's a big opportunity. The other one, of course, is capitalization or cap rates, yeah. uh, which do impact the, the value of property based on the rentals. Now, again, rates are up. They will go at some point back down to some degree, not down to where they were, but down from here. And if, if, if we look back and say that was almost peak interest rate and it was almost you know, uh, the trough vacancy, then you know, I, I, honestly, we're going to replay this episode in two years' time and either think, thank goodness we avoided that or... Wow, yeah. how do we miss that? Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that up front. I am not a fan of office. You don't need there's risk investing you don't need to take. Yeah. I don't need to try and bet on what the future tenancy might look like, and I don't need to bet on where interest rates go. I don't think it. Well, I've got actually almost a fifty five percent of book value, which is remarkable. No. I I wouldn't sell it at this price, mate. If you owned it, you probably own it with knowing full well the risks. It's not obviously a long term sell for me at this price but I'm absolutely not buying it. So I guess by definition, it's a hold. Okay. Um, so the next stock is Dexas in the commercial mm -hmm. property space. So ditto for Dexas as well. Pretty much, mate. Yeah, it's a, it's a slightly higher PE. It's a slightly higher um, 
proportion of book value, about two-thirds of book according to the numbers I've got in front of me here, with all of the same caveats I just yeah. mentioned, yeah. Uh, with all of the same issues that I'm sure Carl's mentioned as well. Um, again, you, 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 know, you have to, and this is the other thing, it's, it's not exactly a binary bet, to use, to use Carl's phrase before, but it's not miles off because literally this goes one or two ways. Um, it's probably almost, it's almost certainly not worth the current price, put it that way. Probably worth more or less, by definition, I guess we could say. But looking at those numbers and saying, do you, are you so sure people return to the office? Are you so sure yeah. rentals stay this high? Are you so sure interest going to fall? Uh, probabilistically, it's not a bet I want to make. So, yeah. yeah. So I'd Same actually thing. almost go, go sell on Dexas, I have to say, Koshi, right. because of the higher price. Dexas, uh, Cromwell's probably too cheap to sell. Dexas, if I owned it today, I'd sell it and put the money somewhere else. Not because I hate Dexas, just because... I think there are many, many better opportunities out there. I, I wouldn't be invested in Dexas right now. Okay. Carl? Well, I'm really glad we did Cromwell and Dexas because we've got two you know, similar sorts of yeah. businesses, both uh, offers. But, you know, look, uh, Cromwell, Australia, but the, the bulk of the portfolio is there in Europe. Now, Dexas is all Australian and yeah. they've got very, very high quality inner city uh, office projects. Look, the average um, sort of vacancy rate at the moment, Kosh, is 88%, which is quite staggering in itself because, you know, if you look at sort wow. of 10-year trends, it's very, it is, it's very, very uh, uh, low occupancy, high vacancy. Okay. Um, but uh, Dexas is at running at 95%, okay? So way better than the market. They're collecting 99.3% of the rent. Um, reasonable uh, lease periods, and they are providing less incentives, obviously, uh, now. So I think there's some tailwinds there. I think Cromwell is horrific. I mean, that chart just tells the story about what the market thinks about that. I think Dexas is half decent, okay? So yeah. I think there's a time and a place for real estate investment trusts. I don't think that's right now, but if it was, I'd be looking towards a Dexas. If we do get that rebound, that disconnect between uh, what expectations are, which are very low for office, and reality turns out to be better than that because people are, uh, you know, companies are calling uh, people back to the office, this is one I would look at, okay? So for mm. Katie, who asked about Cromwell, I'd say forget Cromwell, have a look more at Dexas. It doesn't right. bother me the price is higher because that's what I prefer to see rather than the price is lower and the earnings outlook isn't as bad. So we've got flat earnings going forward for obvious reasons, but at least it's not a contraction and the P is still a discount to the market. So it's 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 more fairly valued there. Look, I can go a hold. It's not a buy yet, but as I said, there's, there's some quality here if the rates do start okay. to turn around. All right. Uh, Carl, Edwin also wants a view on Suncorp, the, uh, the big Queensland-based financial services group? Well, the, yeah, these guys are going, you talk about um, businesses and business models that are struggling. Now, these yeah. guys are just killing it right now because insurance is, uh, let's face it, uh, fairly uh, inflexible in terms of us deciding whether we're going to keep it or not keep it, right? So we need to be insured. And, uh, you know, these guys can pretty much I know there's competition out there, but when, um, as we talked about Qantas earlier on, when uh, all the competition seems to do the same thing at the same time, Koshi, that yeah. is put their prices up at the same time, maybe there isn't as much competition as you think. So, um, yes, uh, certainly costs for them have risen because, hey, something that's as uh, obscure as secondhand car prices are very high. So parts are high, um, but on the flip side, your insurance premiums are high because the value of your vehicles are higher. Um, also, they're getting a big bump from the fact that interest rates have gone up. Don't forget what in, uh, the bread and butter of insurance companies is, take our premiums, invest them, 
preferably in very, very low-risk assets, right? Like a bond, which yep. now yields are substantially higher. And then if they have to pay out some of those uh, premiums as claims, that's what they do, and the rest becomes profit. So they are making uh, a great deal of money right now. The big question, of course, is how, is can that continue? Well, um, I think they're going to they're going to struggle to maintain the growth that they've had, but I don't think the valuation is unreasonable here. Okay, mm. so I think there's a little bit more upside left in this, um, and the chart certainly suggests that. So um, I don't think they're going to grow like they did, but I think there's enough growth to justify the price and then go to the chart. And I'm trying to find my chart here. That's why I'm filling time, yeah. which looks very, very good. <laughs> Bottom left, top right, short-term uptrend, long-term uptrend. And the big thing about me uh, with the Suncorp chart is all these white candles that uh, keep popping up. And that just means that we sort of open uh, fairly low on the day we close high. It just shows that those algorithms. Right. So you've got to remember, most of the money coming to the market right now is, is not made by a person sitting at a desk pressing a button. It's just computer buying based upon fund managers intentions and those algorithms show up in the charts as those white candles okay. and there's plenty of there, there on Suncorp so look happy holder maybe just sitting back because because the, the growth going forward is not going to be as good as it was but certainly happy holder here okay uh, Scott are you a happy holder uh, I'm a holder uh, but only just. Uh, right. it's, it's kind of getting towards the top end of what I think is reasonable. I don't own the shares of the, the record, but I'm, I'm a hold because the, the, the price is reasonable. Nice dividend yield, 4.6%, fully frank. You're, you're, in a, you're in a pretty sweet spot if you own these. I will say, as I say regularly, mate, uh, speaking about diversification earlier with Macquarie, if you have financials as a significant portion of your portfolio, please consider whether that's an appropriate thing, given the concentrated risks you might be taking. So that's a different question. But 30 and a half times earnings is about fair for Suncorp, a nice yield, not going to scare the horses. Uh, I, I agree with Carl's take, by the way, on insurance prices. Plenty of people miss the, the insurance story, look at only the payouts, ignore the premiums. The question is not so much how much you have to pay out or even how much you have to charge, whether you can do both at the same time. The insurance market does move in cycles. Uh, they talk about, talk about hard and soft pricing in the jargon, but effectively, from time to time, with a lot of competition, uh, we talked about airlines at the top, with a lot of competition, you find massive competition for premiums. Premiums go down, your payments don't change. That squeezes margins. Uh, other times, you see premiums go up faster than payments, and that does good things for the bottom line. In an inflationary environment, it's generally been the case in the past. Insurers don't or can't raise their premiums fast enough to catch up. Now, when I say the past, we go back to the early 80s, but uh, I've done a little bit of reading about it. You've got to be a little bit careful just to make sure the insurer you're buying is ahead of the curve or at least keeping up. In the short term, it can be painful. So no view on the short-term move for Suncorp. I'm not entirely sure they're the best insurer in the market, nor are they the worst. Um, very, very fair, straight down the middle, not going to scare the horses. I don't think it's a market beater from here, but you're probably not going to lose too badly. Okay. Uh, a rock-solid hold. Okay. All right, let's recap the first five stocks. Uh, stock of the day, um, a sell from uh, Wedjet, sell from Scott, uh, a buy from Carl, uh, Pay, a hold from Scott, a buy from uh, Carl, Macquarie, the same, Quamrel, a sell from Scott, a hold from Carl, uh, same with Dexas, and Suncorp a hold from both. Uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy funders picked by 
the investment committee. You can see the May committee meeting, osbiz.com, the uh, June one coming up in a couple of days' time. The May meeting, a percent was trimmed from Macquarie, West Farmers and Elders. That 1% added to WiseTech, MA, Financial and Cash, and Austel was replaced by Kelsian Group. Um, and since inception, the market is, uh, the fund is up 10%. Uh, this half hour, going to take a look at mineral resources. Another REIT, this one, the Centuria Industrial REIT, getting away from commercial property. Uh, people in Seven Group and Service Stream. All right, Carl, Maisie wants a view on mineral resources, the uh, big West Australian iron ore lithium mm-hmm. conglomerate. Yeah, that's right. I mean, iron ore is still the big show for minerals. Um, and I'm trying to re- remember now about how much. It's about about just under half, I think, is uh, iron ore, looking at this uh, financial year, right, how it's going to fall. Uh, and lithium went from basically zero. I think it might have been 10 or 15% last year. It's going to be about 35% um, this year. Now, that's, again, what's happening now. If you fast forward, lithium is the big grower. They're looking uh, to double their lithium production also obviously uh, they're a um, uh, processor as well of your spodumene into your um, lithium, lithium minerals and lithium will end up being i reckon in a couple of years around about 80 percent of their revenue so they are definitely transitioning from iron ore heavy to it will eventually be lithium heavy so you need to have a view obviously on oil prices you need to have a view on lithium prices both short term uh, depending on your on your outlook, but also obviously long term. Uh, I anybody's guess on those. I'm not going to um, even even comment uh, on those. It's, I don't think there's any point. If you know where lithium prices are going to be uh, in the next five years, well, congratulations to you. What I can what I can say is that the uh, short term, I think prices will probably remain fairly subdued because they're working through a little bit of uh, cost pressures. They've had some production issues. They've also warned that uh, their mining services revenue, which is only about 15% of the business at, at the moment, so don't panic, uh, is significantly less. There's a bit, a bit less activity going on there. So short-term depressed, long-term it's going to end up uh, the, where how, how your performance will fall on this will depend on commodity prices ultimately for obvious reasons. So let me comment on the short term because really I think the chart is the best to discuss that. I would say that I'm not a buyer for, for Minerals right now. I know that upsets so many clients <laughs> at Think Markets because they love this thing. Um, well, I, they've got quite I, a mercurial chief executive in Chris Ellison, haven't they? I agree. And uh, people tell me all these wonderful things about it. And I say, well, the chart's <laughs> going down. Okay. So um, we look, I've been telling uh, Think Markets clients in my Tuesday webinars, uh, but everybody can come and join these things to lighten the load. Um, we had, we've, you know, you know, I get in in thirds yep. and I get out in yep. thirds, right? So we've, we've had four one third exits, Goshi. So that kind of tells you. Four one third exits. There you okay. go, right? There's been yep. four clear-cut signals on the chart to trim your holdings. Right. You got any don't need to say. Uh, well, no, but with this, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what clients do. Right. All I can say is, hey, that candle, that peak, that trough, minus one third. I literally write it on the screen and it goes, yep. it stays on the screen forever. Okay, so yep. 12 months time we'll come back and you'll see where Carl put minus one third four times on it, for better or for worse. So I'm still of that thinking. There's, the chart is really precariously paced, placed here for a significant breakdown. Okay, so I don't think you want to have a whole risk position here. Yep. 
But I'm open. If the chart turns back up because, hey, commodity prices start booming, fine with me. I'll change that to a So you're a sell. You understand, I'm going to go sell on this one. Okay. Scott, sell Benrez? Oh, that's a big call, isn't it? I think so. Well, yes, because I don't have a view on what the future does. And if you own something, you should have a strong view on why you expect to be able to keep the money you have and make more on top of it. Not you're always going to be right. But you have to have a very high conviction in your. You have to have every stock in the ASX. There's what 800 of them out there, depending on how you yeah. count the ETFs. Uh, you know, you could you could say, well, all of them could possibly go up. So maybe I should own all of them. In which case, you own an ETF and go fishing, and that's fine. By the way, go and do that. But if you want to pick stocks, you're saying, right, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose a dozen, two dozen, three dozen companies that I think are likely to be long-term market leaders. At least if you invest my way, Carl's a different way, which is why it's great having us both on the program. Yeah. Uh, and and on that basis, you say, well, okay, hang on. Do I have enough confidence to make this one of my best 30 ideas? Now, the performance has been pretty good in the past. You've already mentioned, uh, very, Carl's mentioned too, a very committed shareholder base, uh, yeah. a very impressive CEO. But to Carl's point, what's the price of lithium going to be in five years? Now, I'm not saying how much lithium is going to be used in five years. You've heard me talk about this a dozen times, Kosh, you solve your viewers. So I'm not going to do too much on it other than to say, as Carl said, who knows what the price of lithium is in five years? And if you don't know, why are you tossing the proverbial coin on the chance that maybe possibly it might be higher? Maybe it is, and that's fine. Maybe it's not. And that'd be bad if you invested in the shares. If you're having that sort of, you know, who knows bet, I don't reckon that's investing. I reckon you take your money out and you say, right, what can I put my yeah. money into? Okay. Where I have a stronger view of the future of that business. So I would sell minerals as well. Okay. All right. One of the Super dar- controversial. Yeah, one of the darlings <laughs> here on the call. That's particularly when he goes, things right now. that's a big call from Carl. I thought, oh, he's going to go different. <laughs> no, he's, he's doubling up. <laughs> no, that's good. Really great advice too, great analysis. So thank you both for that. Um, something uh, a bit more stable. Scott Robin wants a view on Centuria Industrial REIT. Okay, we've talked about commercial REITs. Um, Robin says, I'm looking at them for the long term. I'm retired. I'm liking the dividend. Also, I don't have any REITs in my portfolio. So um, what, do you, what do you say to Robin? I like industrial, mate. If, you had to, if I had to play the REIT game, yep. I'd be doing it with industrial property. Yep. We are going to see continued demand for large, big box retail and Warehousing. Think about the number of Amazon warehouses. Now, Goodman has most of those. I prefer Goodman, as I've said before. Yep. Uh, but think about the growth of commerce over the next 10 years. We've stopped talking about the growth of e-commerce. Why? Because over the last 12 months, people have gone back to the shops. That's meant that whatever short-term boost e-commerce got, both pure play and, and kind of the clicks and mortar mobs, uh, the, the online sales have fallen. Physical sales have increased again because we've gone back to some sort of normal but that obscures the secular trend, which is continually. Think about Maya, online sales up you know, 25%. Yeah. Uh, Premier Investment, same sort of growth. David Jones, these aren't, these aren't the click, these are the, you know, the, the, the Amazons of the world, the brand new online only mobs like Temple and Webster. These guys are the oldest of old school physical retailers. And up to, I think it's a quarter now, Premier Investments. So I think about uh, Smiggle, Just Jeans, JJ's, Peter Alexander, a quarter of their sales now online and growing and going to mm. continue to grow. So again, I don't love retail REITs for, you know, um, for exactly that reason. I don't want, I don't want second tier shopping centers, uh, but I do think industrial property stands to continue to do well 
because of that distribution center requirement, growing populations, infill. What I do like about uh, Cromwell's infill stuff, I was curious, sorry, is the infill stuff they've been doing, that's really, really strong. What I'm mindful of is the, is the PE at the moment. Trading on something like 18 times earnings. Now, that's not particularly uh, cheap for any business, let alone a reasonably stayed uh, re, uh, you know, industrial REIT. And earnings, by the way, if you look at the chart, have kind of been, they've been a little bit lumpy, but heading only in one direction. That's been down slowly and steadily, but down. Uh, investment income doing the same thing. I don't think I can buy it at the current price, mate. I don't okay. mind it. Uh, if our viewers have them already and don't want to sell them for whatever reason, I have no problem with people holding on to them. If I was going to be buying one, I've said it a couple of times already. I think Goodman is a Goodman. much better option yeah. than, uh, than, uh, okay. yeah, than this one. Uh, Carl? I think we might agree for the second time in this um, session here, <laughs> Koshi, because look, I don't hate um, I don't hate Centuria. Again, I certainly prefer industrial for all the reasons Scott has identified uh, over office and your, your other um, property developers. Um, the other thing is uh, Dexas has a bit of industrial as well, and that's one of the reasons why I like Dexas. You've got a good spread of investments there. I know I'm going back. The, the question here is not whether you buy Centuria, it's whether you buy Centuria over Goodman. I think that's the real discussion. And then as a secondary discussion for the uh, viewer, who I'm trying to find the name, Robin, yep. uh, has clearly, uh, very clear in in the comments, I like, I'm retired, I like the dividends, okay? Maybe I don't have REITs. Okay, if you don't have REITs, I think Goodman is hands down a better play in the industrial space than Centuria. You look at the growth going forward. These are broken numbers, not mine, but consensus is for flat growth for Centuria. In fact, it's been flat, as Scott has said, for the past five years. So five years ago, it earns 19 cents a share. This year, it's going to earn 17. In, in three years' time, it's going to earn 17, Koshi. Yeah. So- it's, it's not the sort of business I want to buy. I want to buy businesses that are growing their earnings, plus you're still paying 18%, which is way above the market average for a company that's got no growth. So let's let's shift that one away. Okay, it's not a bad business, but from a valuation perspective, it goes up in absolute flames. Now, the reason why I think Robin likes it is the 5% dividend yield, yep. okay, which you're not getting on Goodman. So Goodman, growth going forward, again, broken consensus numbers, 9%. So beating the market in terms of growth, it's a little bit more on the PE. It's about 22 times, okay? But I'm okay with that. The problem with Goodman, if it's a problem, is it doesn't have the yield that many of these other property trusts have because it mm. invests for growth, right? So it's not it's not returning that money as dividends. It's only got a dividend yield of about 1.5%. So right. maybe whilst I think Robin can buy uh, Goodman as the REIT in uh, his or her portfolio, it's not going to give Robin the yield that they require. But if you're after yield, hey, Robin, I just did a Google the other day for term deposit rates because I've got to park a little bit of money for a while and I'm getting 4.6% mm. uh, for 12 months and 4.4% for, for six months. And that's pretty good. I know it's unfranked, but hey, Centuria is unfranked as well, right? But okay. at least I know I'm not going to lose my capital there. It's a really good point. All right, uh, Chris wants to be on our next stock, um, Carl, People In, the um, uh, the human resources, um, um, uh, rostering, workplace rostering software group. Yes, this is this is the biggest conundrum I have in today's list of stocks. And no? honestly, I hadn't researched this one in the past. It doesn't come up uh, from clients. Clients have never in any of my webinars said, hey, Carl, look at this. So this is the first time I've, I've looked at this one. Um, and I, I, what got me was, I mean, the business seems 
uh, going gangbusters at the moment. So if you don't know what they do, they uh, labour high business, yep. uh, healthcare, um, uh, education, uh, IT. Okay, all sectors which are struggling at the moment to find labour and will likely continue to do so for the foreseeable future. It is their bull market. They, they should be making money hand over fist. And it certainly appears uh, that they are, are doing well. Okay, so we're looking at about a modest growth, about 7%, 8% uh, over, uh, over the next three years. It was about uh, well, 26% FY22, just cycling a bit of a bump, obviously, given current conditions. But growth, modest going forward, 7%. Uh, and then I say, well, market average uh, growth, I'd happily pay, you know, a little bit less than the market average PN would start to look like a bargain. So maybe, a, a, you know, 12 or a 13. It's trading at eight times this year's earnings, uh, falling to seven times in FY26. So it just looks ridiculously, ridiculously cheap here. Um, as in too good to be true, cheap. And then uh, I go to the dividend yield. It's got a 5% odd fully frank dividend wow. yield as well. There you go. So I think this is a business that is firing on all cylinders. I think it can continue to do so. It looks ridiculously cheap on the valuation. And then, Koshi, you know where I go next. The chart. And the chart looks terrible. Right. Um, so I can't buy it. Uh, and I'm not even sure if I'm a hold. And I know that seems crazy, but that is my methodology. And I'd say to viewers out there, what's your methodology? Yeah. All right. And if you don't have one, you've got to get one. Whatever it is, whether it's yeah. Scott's way of doing things or my way, know what you're doing it, know when you do it, and then follow through. Okay. So what you, the trade, trade the thing. Right. So what you would be doing now, fundamentals look, to go up. Uh, yeah, yeah. to go up. Fundamentals that's, that's, look good. That's crazy. So yeah, you're, it's crazy to people. So you'll put it on your watch list, <laughs> and yes. when the chart turns to justify the fundamentals, then you're interested. I would happily buy Right. Yep. Yeah. Scott? Uh, Kosh, I'm going to start by echoing Carl's point. He, he and I are at opposite ends of, of our approach to investing, right? yep. to, to making money on the market. But where we are 100% aligned, I, I think, I'll, I'll put words in Carl's mouth, but assuming what he just said then uh, is roughly what I think he's saying. We have very different approaches. Here's my thing. I'm wrong a lot, but I'm right a lot more than I'm wrong. And when I'm right, I tend to make money that I lose when I'm wrong. And what that means is if I start to pick and choose in my style and say, well, I'll use that for that and that for something else, or I'll do this, I'll do that. To Carl's point, business with great fundamentals, terrible technicals, what do you do? Well, if you're a fundamental analyst like me, you probably don't care about the technicals and vice versa. As long as I'm consistent with what I'm doing and my, my style works over time more often than not, and Carl's, I'm sure, works more often than not from a different perspective, then that's okay. Where you do fall into traps is trying to you know, take shortcuts here and there. Well, it doesn't work, but I like it anyway. Or why don't I ignore this because it just makes me feel better or, or, you know, whatever else it is. That's when you get yourself in trouble. So I, I, I really like people in for all the fundamental reasons, Carl says. And with a longer term perspective, I, I like it a lot. I'm going to just raise one, which is this is in the contract staffing business. We've seen uh, headlines earlier this week, BHP's analysis. Now, let's assume they're a little bit biased, saying the government's proposed legislation which will effectively enshrine the same pay for the same work, whether you're a contract worker or a full-time staffer, will, will cost businesses in Australia $1.3 billion, according to BHB. Let's assume that's over-egged, but you know, something like that number. Why would you use people in, in part, because you get a cheaper workforce, a more flexible yeah. workforce, you get to hire and fire at will. Now, if that change goes through and, and narrows the gap for potential employers or contractors of these businesses, then all of a sudden you say, well, I was going to use people in, but I might as well employ these guys directly because there's no difference. Mm -hmm. That is the big fundamental risk for people in. And it may well, I, I, we don't know what, exactly what the market's thinking all the time. You can see the result. 
but you can't always see the inputs. It may well be nervous about that and probably with some justification. I am a buy. I think it is cheap enough to buy for all the reasons Carl said. Um, I am keeping an eye, though, on changes to revenue and profit based on changes to that legislation. So okay. an asterisk for me, but a, a buy. Okay. Uh, next stop, we'll need to uh, um, sort of get through these last two pretty quickly. Uh, Scott, uh, Seven Group, uh, the as distinct from Seven West Media, Seven Group mm-hmm. owns a fair bit of Seven West Media, 40%, but has Austrac, has a bit of Boral in there, has a bit of Bridge Oil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bit of a, um, a listed investment company, is it? Mm. It is, mate. I will try and be quick. Um, I, I actually really like modern conglomerates. Conglomerates have a terrible name in the past because they were these messy things. I worked for Heinz at one point. They owned, they owned Stanley Wines, of all things, before they are selling mm-hmm. it off um, just because they kind of did because someone had built a conglomerate in the 70s and kind of thrown all these things together. The modern conglomerates, um, you, take, you take seven, you take, um, seven West, you, West you take uh, Salt Patch, you take West Farmers, exactly. Uh, these guys, if you're doing it right, and by the way, there's no um, surprise, these are run by boards with strong cultures, often um, big, meaningful, important shareholders, but even just West Farmers, less so, but a, a really strong board culture. As long as everything's for sale and everything's available for purchase at the right price, these conglomerates really work. If they start to become trophy assets or something else, you've got to be a little bit careful because they can go off the rails, hence the, the Stanley yeah. Wines thing at Heinz back in the day. Um, I, I think it's reasonable. 13 times earnings is not too much to pay for this business. It is worth making sure we do separate this out um, as, as a company from, from Seven West, of course, because yeah. they are different businesses. Yeah. Um, I, I, do, I don't mind Seven Group. It's a business that's had reasonably stable earnings, believe it or not, over the past four years, a drop in 2020 for reasons that we all are very well aware. 13 times earnings for a stable business is not too much to pay. Uh, it's not probably a high conviction for me. I'm going to say, mate, it's a cautious buy on price. Okay. Much above this, though, I'd be back to a hold. Okay. Uh, Carl, Seven Group? I'm a cautious buy on the chart, I think. Um, and look, <laughs> I, I, like the biz- I like the business. Uh, I probably can't add too much to what Scott said on that. Obviously, uh, West Track and Coates are the, uh, the, yeah. the the biggest growth drivers at the moment, and uh, they're expecting Ball to be, quote-unquote, flat for the next 12 months. Uh, but it is, I think, look, I know earnings, look, they have managed to grow earnings, and that's, that's very impressive, but it is a cyclical business. I understand that. If mining in WA was to take a big downturn, they would struggle. If uh, housing construction was was to take a downturn uh, nationally, they, they would struggle. So have a view on those things and understand, I guess, where this sits on the risk spectrum among the companies within, within yep. your portfolio. But if okay. you can get past that, I think it looks very good. So look, I'm going to go okay. by as well. Uh, and just quickly, Polly wants a view on Service Stream, the, um, the infrastructure service business, isn't it? Uh, was in MBN, it's in a lot yep. of wise and polls, uh, Carl? Yeah, look, super defensive business. I can do this very quickly for you, Koshi. I don't, I don't hate the business, but the chart looks awful. So right. chart is uh, top left, bottom right, which means there's absolutely no way I could tell any of my clients to buy this one. Yep, Scott. Uh, I do hate the business. That's a bit too strong, but I don't like the business <laughs> at all. Uh, it's had declining. This is a this is a roller coaster chart. If you look at it, it went up and then just slowly down since yeah. then. Uh, services business leave me absolutely cold, mate, because you've got permanent staff and uh, semi permanent if. A temporary contract. You hope you can do enough of it at the right price. If your staffing's permanent, it's exactly the opposite of any business I'm looking for. I want pricing power. I want the ability to, uh, to have a brand, to be able to leverage assets uh, permanently or at least regularly. 
Uh, this is not a great business yeah. in my mind. I wouldn't own it on quality alone. 11 and a half times earnings, not even particularly cheap given the challenges itself for me yeah. as well. And not a pretty picture there on the chart at all. Um, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, always great to see you, mate. Thank you kindly. Uh, always fun. Thanks, Goshi. Carl Capolinga from Think Market. It's always great to have you on board. Thanks, Goshi. Super Thank interesting you. discussion today. Good on you. Uh, let's recap the final uh, five stocks. Mineral resources, a sell, double sell from both Carl and Scott. Uh, Centuria Industrial, a no from both. Uh, People in, um, a no from Carl, a yes from Scott. Seven Group, a cautious buy from both. And Service Stream, no go from both. Look, if you've got any stocks you'd like me to put to our expert panel, that's my role in this, to, to pick the brains of the experts on behalf of us all. Uh, send them in osbiz.co slash call picks or tweet us using the at TV handle. More of Osbiz coming up after this. More of the call same time tomorrow. See you then. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,